we just want to thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that as we come together as a company of people, I thank you that we come into your presence. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you minister to us. I thank you that you get our eyes off ourselves and onto you. I thank you that you speak to us. I thank you you bring the gifts of the Spirit amongst us. I thank you that we are encouraged in being together and being with you. I thank you that you sharpen us up as we open our hearts to all that you want to say to us and minister to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we look at your word, I pray you would illuminate. I pray you'd stretch us. I pray that we would be changed people for this short time together, but with our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So we are at the uh, sort of, I guess it was towards the middle of end of last year. Um, Mick and I just talking about where we were going in terms of what we would like to look at. And really just felt that the whole area of uh, doing the work of evangelist was uh, something that just burns within us as people. Uh, I think as we come here, I, I often... You know, you package up what we have here on a Sunday morning, and I just want people to know more about what, what, who God is, what He's doing, what He's about. And, and so I love these mornings. I, I, it's just so encouraging this morning just to hear God speak to us. I, I love this. But I, I dare say I crave, if that's the right word, I long for more people to know Him. You know, we are the privileged few in this room. Uh, this morning that enjoy God and all that he wants to speak to us and long we long for it to keep coming but my biggest prayer is that more will come to know him and uh, I think you know Mick helped us so so helpfully uh, kick us off uh, last week and this morning I just really want to focus in on this whole phrase that uh Paul uses as he's writing to young Timothy, he's a young church leader, and he's encouraging him in his church leadership. And towards the end of his second letter in uh, 2 Timothy 4, he says this to Timothy. But you, Timothy, in amongst all that you're doing as a church leader, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship that comes with leadership. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. And it's this whole phrase that he says to Timothy, come on, Timothy, in all that you're doing, all your busyness and all the things that you're putting your hands into, I don't want you to lose what it means to do the work of an evangelist. To always be thinking about those who are outside of the faith, outside of your leadership influence. Think about those people. And I really think that Paul was saying to Timothy, I want your lifestyle to be that of one with an evangelistic heart. I want you to suddenly have to do lots of programs and lots of ministries that do the evangelism thing just so we've got a box ticked 
in our church program. I think what he's saying to Timothy is actually just as you go about your day to day life, always think about those who don't know Jesus. And I think my biggest heart for us as a people, and I think something of what we've tried to do as a family, is reflect an evangelistic heart to those who don't know Jesus through just our day-to-day lives. I am not the greatest evangelist. I have not got that gift. But I know within me there is a heart to reach people. And I think the two are slightly different. I think when we hear evangelists amongst ourselves, amongst meetings and so on, we think, oh, yeah, there's the gift of evangelism. They have the gift to pull people into the kingdom. I'm not sure I've got that gift, but I know I've got a heart to reach people. And somehow in my weakness and in my frailty, God uses that to reveal himself to those who don't know him. And you know what? Every one of you in this room who knows Jesus, this is for you. Every one of us. Nobody can write themselves out of having an evangelistic heart. Because that is the very nature of what Jesus called us to. To be disciples and to go and make disciples. I want to take us back a few years um, because I think many in this room won't know this story. Some of you will because you were around at the time. But I just really thought as I was thinking about this morning, it was a story that really impacted me and us as a family. Uh, well, perhaps Catherine and I, kids were a bit younger then. Um, in terms of how we live our lives evangelistically and how we have continued to do so uh, on a day-to-day basis. And it was a story that of um, Bill Hybels, who leads a church in, in America, in Chicago. And he was at a, uh, a, a conference. And basically at this conference, he was sitting with, with other church leaders were there. And he was sitting around uh, one of the conference tables. There was probably 12, 14 different church leaders around this table. And uh, as part of their sort of getting to know each other, they just literally walked sort of walked around the table in terms of introducing themselves, who they were, what they were doing, where they were based, all that sort of stuff. And so it goes around the table and, and everybody's introducing their story. And Bill Hybels talks about this moment where a chap on the other side of the room, or other side of the table, um, talked about his story of faith. And uh, he sort of had derived by guy's um, complexion that he probably had grown up in a Muslim uh, background. And uh, uh, this chap talked about how he was once in a business meeting and he was standing on the edge of this room and there were lots of business leaders in and around the room. And he was standing on his own, own, not connecting with anybody, uh, not really talking to anybody. When somebody from the other side of the room walked across the room and just put out a hand to him and said, oh, hi, my name's, let's call him Steve. Hi, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm from such and such. Where are you from? It's as simple as that. And from that conversation, they just introduced each other and they were chatting and they were talking about their lives and bits and pieces. And what came to light was in this conversation that the chap that had walked across the room was a Christian and the guy that he was speaking to had come up, uh, grown up in a Muslim faith. And so the, the Christian guy says, Do you know, what? I don't know much about 
the Muslim faith, would you be happy to have breakfast with me and just talk about your story? I'd love to learn a little bit more. And so the guy said, yeah, no, I'd be delighted to do that. And so these two men, over a period of time, they would meet regularly and just have breakfast together. They would talk about their faith. They would talk about their family. They talk about their businesses. And they just got to know each other over a season. But as the conversations went on, they got deeper and deeper in terms of their faith. And uh, this Muslim guy was absolutely transfixed by the Christian and his story. And ultimately, what happened was that he eventually stood away from his faith that he had known and became a Christian. And for him, that was a massive deal. There's obviously all the family implications and, and so on and so forth. After a while, his wife becomes a Christian and his children too. And eventually this man gave up his work and became got became trained and became a church leader and was now at this church leaders conference where Bill Hybels was was um, speaking. And there was something in this story that really impacted Bill Hybels and impacted me when I read it about the simplicity of somebody being willing to come out, as he calls it, out of his circle of comfort. And we all have them, don't we? Even on a Sunday morning, we have our circle of comfort, those that we speak to regularly and those perhaps we don't. It just happens. It's human nature. But he was willing to come out of his circle of comfort, walk across a room. And in a slightly cheesy American way, uh, Bill describes it as going into the zone of the unknown and putting out a hand of friendship to somebody that he didn't know and trusting the Holy Spirit to lead him through the conversation. Do you know what? It's often when we are in those, if you like, zones of the unknown where God does his best work. You know, it is the point we are relying on the Holy Spirit to help us to know what to say, how to listen for elements of a conversation. Oh, God, I can see you in this. I remember many, many years ago, I was praying uh, for um, some friends of ours. Uh, that they would come to know Jesus. And I remember a conversation that was key to at least opening the door. And I'm looking and I'm looking, looking in my heart and my mind, if you like, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And suddenly something, they said, ah, there's, there's my, there's my little opening. And just, oh, do you know what? This is what I think about this subject or what I think about that. We're looking for God to open Holy Spirit moments with those around us, and we will be ready to share something of God to those people at that time. The day we, and that's we, not me, not Mick, we stop sharing our faith, it's lights out for the kingdom of God. If we don't Take seriously what God has called us to do. Ultimately, it could lead to the slow defeat of a church. We know it happens. We have bought a building from a church that 
had eventually closed its doors. Why should we be any different? We have to take seriously what it means to reach the lost. How important are walks across the room? I believe every one of us, by the Holy Spirit, has the ability to walk across the rooms physically or metaphorically to people and bring them to know Jesus. Do you believe God has planted that seed in you? Do you really believe it? Because I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know how to bring somebody to faith. Do you know what? The best way is you being you and you just saying what God did in your life. That's your best evangelistic tool. How did you come to faith? What was your story? It's funny. Um, I think Andrew used the word weird. Did you just use the word? You did just use the word weird. I was lying in bed last night talking to Catherine. And I said, do you know what? How do we... How do we live a life of faith and not be weird? How do do you do that? And so we just like for about 10 minutes, just like, what does that look like? How do you be faithful to what God's called you? Know the things of the spirit and still yet be absolutely relevant to people who have no clue what we do, what we think, how we talk and not be weird. I believe it's possible. Okay, some of you are a bit weird, but I believe generally. <laughs> I'm not not looking at anybody in particular. <laughs> Trevor. Um, <laughs> yeah, wear a scarf like that. You can't get away with it. No, no. I believe, how do we do it? I believe it's possible, and I think there are two things that we have to be clear on. One is that we are ourselves relating to Jesus. And two, that we are open to the Holy Spirit using us. I've had thousands of, well, I don't know, maybe it is thousands. Let's, let's say hundreds, certainly hundreds of conversations with people about faith over the years. And I'm always trying not to be weird when I'm talking about God and my relationship with Jesus. I'm trying to make it real. I'm trying to say, this is my, this is who I am. This is my DNA. This is, you know, I'm, I'm not some freak show. Stories that are grounded in everyday life will speak to those who don't know Jesus. There are situations, there are places, there are neighborhoods, there's your workplaces, there's your family, there's your supermarket moments. Where Jesus is working in our hearts by his spirit and he's looking for us to be willing to put our hand out and say, oh, hi, my name's Steve. We've been um, just over the last few weeks, um, just before Christmas, um, doing a bit of a Skype training with a, with a guy called Russell, uh, which Sally's introduced us to. And uh, we're looking to hopefully use him uh, to help shape us in, in this whole arena 
And I've just loved listening to his stories of, I was out yesterday and, and uh, we were in this place and there was somebody on a park bench and we just went up and said hello to him and we had this conversation and we talked, you know, a little bit about Jesus. He just lives this stuff. And it's just every day. He just had story after story after story of encounters with people, you know. And I was thinking, God, there's so much more. I need to be open to just seeing God take me across a room and speak to people. But I want to take you to a story in uh, Luke's Gospel, if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, Abby will also put it on the screen, but I encourage you just to have it in your Bibles in front of you. This is a story um, which I guess will be reasonably familiar, but I want to I want to remind you through this story of your own salvation story and what happened when you became a Christian, when you got saved, and what impact that had on the lives of those around you. This is the story of, as it is entitled in Luke, of Levi. It's often called Levi. Matthew It's the same person, just the names are interchangeable. Luke's used Levi's. This was was Matthew's story. And we're going to look at a couple of other stories, but I want you just to see what happened in this man's life after he came to faith. So it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, Matthew, sitting at the, his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up left everything and followed him. Now, I would love it evangelistically if every person I said to them, would you follow Jesus? And they got up straight away and left everything and followed. I would love that. I don't think this is Matthew's first encounter with Jesus. I think he's been watching. He's been seeing. He's been seeing what Jesus has been ministering. And he has been weighing this stuff up. And here comes a personal invite from Jesus himself. And Jesus, in this summary, is basically saying, Matthew, are you willing to put aside everything that you have ever known? Count the cost. And are you willing to follow me? And I think Matthew's been contemplating this and thinking about it. We don't know. But I would imagine that was part of his story. Whatever happened, he at that point decided, you know what, this Jesus, he is worth following. And so he gives up everything and follows Jesus. Then Luke tells us this. So this man's come to faith. He's found new forgiveness of sins. He's found freedom. He's found eternal life. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were we, uh, were, weeping, were eating with them. Matthew comes to faith. Transformation takes place. And the first thing Luke tells us that he does is, guys, I'm going to put on a party. For Jesus and all his unbelieving tax-collecting friends. 
straight away we see in Matthew's life, he's wanting them to come to know this Jesus that he has come to know himself. He's willing to open his home. He's willing to open and invite people in. Then Luke tells us, but the Pharisees, so the religious guys, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. And this is what religious people do. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It went straight to their heart that they got agitated that the very people who need to know Jesus, who are far from a relationship with God, they are getting upset about because the disciples are hanging out with unbelievers. Do you know, if I was Jesus at that moment, I would have got a wet fish and go, it's just... It's, that's what religious, religiosity does to us. You can't mix with. You can't spend time with. Because they're going to corrupt you. But the very heart of who we are is that we are to be around those who are far from faith. And what often happens in church life is that we, we love our friends. You friends and our freedom and everything that we have. But we forget that there are people outside our doors that are far from faith. Matthew knew the importance of opening his home to those who don't know God. A few years ago, I think it was uh, not this year, but maybe two or three years ago, Andrew and Rachel had a Christmas party, which they often do. Very good Christmas party. Quizzes are hard, but they're good. Didn't know anything about, who was it, Sean the Sheep this year? Anyway, about two or three years ago, we go to Andrew and Rachel's Christmas party, and their room is buzzing with neighbours and people that we'd never met, but people outside the faith, and we spent an evening just talking and mingling and trying to cheat from each other's quiz sheets. Getting to know people. They were having, as it were, a Matthew party. They had taken their faith that we want to show something to those who don't know God. Over the years, as a family, we have held countless Matthew parties, bonfire parties, which sometimes go wrong. Barbecues, that's another story for another day. How to kill your youth group in one easy lesson. It was great, Gary, wasn't it? Run for cover. Barbecues, games nights, movie nights, cheese and wine parties, quiz nights. Whatever it is, make an excuse. Have a party. And invite those who are far from faith. Because in your parties, there will be opportunities to walk across rooms and introduce people to Jesus. I believe it with all my heart. It's not a program. It's not, Steve says we must. It's a lifestyle. We do it because it's fun. It's enjoyable. 
It's a laugh. Over Christmas, we had some people with us who are not part of the church. We just want to have a fun evening with them, looking for opportunities, looking by the spirit that there will be walk across the room moments. I want you to know this is, I believe, one of our best ways of connecting with people. If you've got an open home, when was the last time you had your neighbours in? When was the last time you had your work colleagues in? When was the last time you gathered a group of people that were outside the church? And just invite them in. I know you guys used to have garden parties. Still do have garden parties. James used to go and sing. You invited the neighbours. It's brilliant. Despite James singing, they used to come year after year. We need to be a church that is hospitable. And what I'm, if you've come to our house, we can do cooking to a, a level. We're not anywhere near the Richardson's standard, but we can be hospitable. I can just about barbecue a burger and serve up a hot dog. But it's about a lifestyle, about reaching people. Why do we do it? Well, A, we want to do it because Jesus has commanded us to do it. But secondly, we do it because Jesus did it himself. If you just turn to two Philippians, chapter two, Philippians chapter two. This probably is not often used as a evangelistic tool. This is a very famous piece of scripture. Uh, many scholars think it was probably written as a hymn of praise, which Paul has used in his letters to the Philippines. And he's actually writing to the Philippines because they're all falling out with each other, having a bit of disunity. They're all seeing things a little bit different. There's a bit of grumpiness going on in the church. And he's saying, come on, church. That's not what it's about. That's what he's actually addressing. But I want you to grasp the evangelistic model that Jesus has shown us himself. Paul says this, your attitude, don't be grumpy, but should be that the same that let's say that again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's just pause there. Jesus, who was equal or is equal to the Father, did not take that position as something that he would hold on to. He could have done. He had every right to be. I'm part of the Trinity. And yet he was willing to set aside everything. Why? For you. 
and me. He didn't hold on to his position. He was willing to come as a servant. As a church, we need to be people that are willing to, do you know what? This may be uncomfortable. This may be costing me in time. This may be a challenge for me. But Jesus himself was willing to set aside those things and become a servant for us. Are we willing to follow that model? Whereas actually, I'd rather be doing this, but I'm going to set that aside because I want to become a servant to those outside the faith. Jesus was willing to become a man. He took on humanity in himself and he humbled himself. And even became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you know what? He died to himself. And part of doing the work of evangelism, being a lifestyle of giving up for the benefit of others, is that we have to be obedient to what God's called us to do. Now, I would imagine that none of us in our lifetime will ever be put to death on a cross. But there is a cost to it. And he calls every one of us to it. And then, as we know, God then exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this phrase, these few verses Show us what it's going to be like at the end of time. And I want you to think what it's going to be like when we are gathered with countless millions. And there's going to be some surprises in there of people that you have interacted with over your life that find themselves in heaven with us. What is that going to feel we will be rejoicing together. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I got, we, we've got, we've got a list, um, in our files of people that we have interacted with as a church family over the years that we've been, um, here as, as a church in, in Weymouth. I mean, it goes into the hundreds of people that we as a family together have interacted with. And I I don't know, out of all those stories where everybody is at in terms of their own faith, but I believe in my heart we will see some. We will see some. And I want to see more. And I know you guys want to see more. But we have to take Jesus' model of what he did himself, he was willing to take the, as it were, the longest walk across a room for us. He came across the cosmos. And Paul says in Romans, he did this because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever knew him, before we ever had opportunity to respond to him, Jesus had already paid for our sin. And now he wants us to do the same, have the same characteristic. Don't do it mechanically. Don't do it because you're motivated out of fear or because I told you so. Do it because it's part of who you are. Be open in all kinds of settings. Now, I want to give you one last example from John 4. If you want to just flick to your Bibles to John chapter 4. And here we see Jesus himself walking across a room for a lady that was far from faith. And I'm just going to, we'll read the whole section through, just so you get the whole story. But I want you to see what was going on in this conversation that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman. Starting at verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground of Jacob and had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, now get this, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, hands up who's tired, who gets tired, we all get tired. Jesus was tired from his journey, sat down by the well, for it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to McDonald's to get their food. Left Jesus at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Already Jesus is eyeing up an opportunity. Do you see that? He's willing to talk to somebody that nobody else would talk to. And so Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have been giving you living water. Already Jesus is starting to phrase his conversation to something that is beyond just having a drink you see sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the physical water. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring 
of water welling up. Does God do that in us by his spirit? Welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still not getting it. She still thinks it's something about physical water. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you'll need this at the moment, but I can give you something far greater. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands. And the man now that you have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, the poor lady is on the back foot. She is sensing something beyond a normal conversation. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and in fact has now come, where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. This is what God's looking for. He's looking for a people that will love him. Honour him, worship him. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. This must have been the jaw dropping moment for her. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus was willing, even though he was tired, to have a conversation with someone he knew needed to know him. He was willing to use the conversation and insert into his conversation by the Spirit an exposure of who he was and what the father's looking for. Those are the conversations that you and I are looking to have. The response of this lady was incredible. If you go down to verse 39, this is how John summarizes what's happened. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, believed in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. You ever had a conversation with somebody where you feel God's... You're right. Had a conversation with everybody. 
Holy Spirit's just, come on, Ben. <laughs> Have you ever had a conversation with people where you just know God's laid on your heart something that he wants you to say? For, for some time, I'm used to meet with a chap who was a JW, and he used to come to my house, and we would just have conversations. It wasn't anything heavy duty. And one day, as we're sitting in my lounge, I said to him, I just feel God's laid this thing on my heart about you. Um, is any of that true? And his eyes welled up and he said, is exactly what's happening in my life at the moment. I said to him, would you be happy for me to pray with you? And he said, yes. I was absolutely astounded. I was totally expecting him to say, no, you can't pray with me. So I just very simply just prayed for him in the situation that I felt God had laid in my heart. It's those conversations, guys, that we are looking to have. That's what Paul's talking about, being the heart of an evangelist, looking for him to come. Let's go back to the story. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed with them for two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we've heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. There is a point that will come in people's lives where your story, your faith, your lifestyle has helped them along this journey. But there will be a point where that tipping point goes. Do you know what? I don't believe it just because you believe it, Steve. I know I believe it because I believe it for myself. That's what we're looking for. Jesus, help us to be those who bring people to faith, not because of just our story, but because of their own walk. I want to give you some assurance or some encouragement. If you like, my batting average, if you use a cricketing term, is still low. My conversation to conversion rate is, I wouldn't say pathetic, but it's low. It is low. But what do I keep doing? Do you know what? I still go out to bat. I still go out to bat. And over time, I believe some of the conversations, some of the things that we've done, some of the things that have happened in my workplace, where I've been able to share something of my story, will fall on good soil. And there will be people in heaven with me because of something of my walk across the room moment. I want to encourage us, 2018, let's rejuvenate a walk across the room mentality. Let's think and pray. I want you guys to think and pray towards Matthew-type parties. Don't ask your small group leaders to do it, connect group leaders to do it. You do it and ask them, would they help? Make your home open to unbelievers. What could I do? 
I think part of what Andrew and Rachel have got us doing with the Friendship Week will help shape things to come. I believe as you gather, I think somebody's doing a knitting thing. Is that Pauline? Are you doing a, looking to do a knitting thing? I'm not coming, but just to say. <laughs> but Catherine is. As you gather around a common interest of knitting and build friendships, I believe others will be pulled into that group who are outside the faith. That's how it works. Be hospital. Open your heart to those outside. A walk with God. And let's believe that actually we are going to change a community. I believe we proclaim Jesus. We love people. We will see community transformed. And every one of us in this room is included and If you walk with God, you are not excluded. No excuse. No excuse. Jesus has called us to be disciples. So I'm going to, I want you to feel that challenge. I want you to know that you, it's real. This is what he's called us to. And let's believe that we will see many, many more come to know him. Let's just stand together, shall we? As we close. Holy Spirit, you have been on us this morning. We acknowledge your presence over us. Jesus, you have ministered to us. Father, you have been so gracious to us that you, again, have offered us mercy. As we've come to you. And I pray right now, by your spirit, you would start bubbling up within us. That whole mindset of taking every goodness that we know of you and using it to reach those who are far from you. I thank you that for every believer in this room, you have put the charge on us to be disciple makers. Not one of us is excluded. And I pray even now, faith would arise across this room for opportunities for us to reach the lost. I pray for Holy Spirit divine conversations that would come from our lips. I pray for insight into hearts. I pray for almost like keyhole surgery accuracy in prophetic words that would come, that would break open a heart and a mind. I pray for faith to come for those that we have already sown into.
And we just say, ah, do we go again? Just as you called Peter to go back out with the nets. Jesus, we go back out with our nets. Even as we think through this new year. We just say, oh, I've done that, I've done that, I've tried so hard. Lord Jesus, we go back out to bat. Those that we perhaps have, it's never going to happen. Lord, I pray faith would deposit in our hearts again this morning. I pray for lifestyle to be shaped by the lost. I pray our diaries would be full of times with those who are far from you and not full of meetings. I pray we would prioritise building relationship with those who don't know you. Jesus, would you come by your spirit on us? Would you encourage us? We thank you that you're so gentle with us. Thank you, don't beat us up. Don't tell us we've done a rubbish job. But Lord, you encourage us. Come on us again, we pray.